Working Draft Magazine presents Barriers in Cycling by Jenna Patterson Coots. I feel free as I pedal on my bike for the first time in years. My dad in front of me, leading the way. I keep my eyes on the road and try to avoid constant potholes despite wanting to look up and enjoy the view. When I do look up, I notice that most of the cyclists I pass are men. Maybe I haven't seen many women because I'm too focused on the road. But the second and third time I go cycling with my dad, I see that it's still mostly men on bikes. It turns out that most cyclists in Canada are men. One third or 34% of cyclists in Canada are women, according to a CBC article. Sexism. Sexism in sports is not a new thing, and as it turns out, cycling is no exception. Once upon a time in the 1890s, doctors believed if a woman were to ride a bike, she would become infertile, or her uterus would fall out. There was no evidence of this ever happening, of course, and it sounds ridiculous now, but doctors would discourage women from getting onto a bike. One possible explanation for this is that if women were allowed to cycle, they would have more freedom and wouldn't need to depend on men as much to get the places. Sexism is more evident in professional cycling than recreational riding. Individually, some women may have experienced more sexism than others, and not all sexism in cycling is blatant. Nobody's done anything explicitly sexist to me individually but I am the victim of an industry that is behind in its work to develop women's things, says avid cyclist Elizabeth Betsy Trout. Trout, who is taller than the average woman, standing at almost six feet, says that bikes made for women don't typically fit her long and narrow figure. They only build woman-specific bikes to a size 54, which is too small for me, so I get by on a 56. I happen to be in the so-called unisex size, but it comes with stock parts on it that are men's, says Trout. If Trout gets on a unisex bike, she will likely have to spend an extra hundred or so dollars on getting a proper seat that fits her, so she won't have to deal with saddle sores or uncomfortable riding. The bike industry is behind in coming up with women's gear that is specifically suited to female bodies, female posture, female proportions, things like that, says Trout. On one episode of the Love Woman Cycling podcast, produced by Black Sheep Cycling, they dive deeper into female cycling gear. The podcast talks about the lack of quality in cycling gear for women. Stereotypes of a woman cyclist being small and thin is also an issue. The managing director at Black Sheep Performance Apparel, John Polson, points out in the episode that product development in cycling specifically has always been men first. Wanting to make a difference, Polson started making quality cycling clothes for women. He explained it was challenging with the lack of research into women's cycling. Then there's the shrink it and pink it mantra that sees products for women being made pink and flowery without an emphasis on quality. This outdated thinking still exists in products trying to cater to women or girls with pink to make it more appealing. The strategy is used to market products in many different areas. In cycling, this means making helmets pink and making cycling clothing smaller to fit women without really considering how it will fit a woman's contours. 
Walking inside the Alter Ego Cycling Sports Store, I keep my eyes open for any noticeable pink or more girly gear. There wasn't a lot. The clothing was primarily black, white, or more neutral colors. The women's clothes blended with the men's, with the occasional pink standing out. The cycling community and Veladonna's. There is a decent-sized cycling community in Winnipeg and Manitoba, and they continue to thrive with the increased interest in cycling from the pandemic. There are multiple cycling groups and clubs where anyone can become a member to join group rides and races. Riding in groups to be more visible to motorists may make cyclists feel safer. These clubs welcome new members and most are open to all genders. There's one cycling club in Winnipeg for an all-female community, Veladonna's. Erin Carter, Canadian ex-national team cyclist and resident in St. Anne, Manitoba, partnered with three local cyclists, Karen McSherry, Deanne Cody, and Kimberly Ann Falk, to create the group. In 2003, Veladonna's was born. The goal of this club has remained the same since the beginning, to encourage, inform, and instruct female cyclists in a supportive environment. Veladonna's is inclusive to all female-identifying people and non-binary people. Monica Moni Robertson, the current president of Veladonna's, says that the average age within the group is around 45 to 47, though women from a range of ages join them from 20-year-olds to 60-year-olds. I really can't describe the profoundness of that discovery, says Trout on learning about Veladonna's. Robertson says most women prefer to plan and know what they're getting into when first getting into a new activity, such as cycling. What we found in Veladonna's is to give them everything, or mostly everything, they need to know ahead of time, including things like advance notices for activities, says Robertson. These activities include things like group rides and races. Women want to know what they're getting into, and they also want to know if they will fit in says Robertson. Some women raise concerns and questions to the Veladonna's members about not being good enough and not being able to keep up. Our answer is always, you will be able to keep up, and it's only going to get better, says Robertson. Veladonna's provides coaching and encouragement to make women feel as confident as possible when they get onto the bike. We always make sure that we have some type of coaching available for women because that's how they learn. We pair newer riders with more experienced riders, and the expectation of our more experienced riders is to provide support to those new riders. And I think it's something that has worked for us and will hopefully continue to work, says Robertson. One member of Veladonna's is Trout, who heard about the club in 2014 from a fellow cyclist and had her first ride in the spring of 2015. Trout says that she was instantly hooked with the group riding. I love the idea of working as a unit in this orchestrated fashion with this common goal. I played team sports very seriously on an elite level for multiple decades, and then I couldn't do it anymore because of my knee, and it was a huge loss. And so, to find that in Veladonna's and have it be all woman, I really can't describe the profoundness of that discovery," says Trout. I couldn't believe that I had never heard of this club and that such a thing existed. Catherine Bertin Writer, activist, filmmaker, and former pro cyclist for St. Kitts and Nevis compares riding as a team to a game of chess. 
Every rider has a different part to play, and they all move strategically to help get their teammates to cross the finish line. Some sprint, while some ride in front of others to block the wind from their teammates to make pedaling easier for the cyclists behind them. This is called drafting. Unless someone is doing individual time trials, it is as much a team sport as basketball or hockey. It's like getting together with a group of girlfriends, says Trout, who also does group rides in mixed gender settings. Trout says she gets a better draft in mixed rides because she's unusually tall for a woman, so she has more opportunities to get drafted when she's riding with men, but she enjoys the conversations she has during Belladonna's rides. While Belladonna's is encouraging more women to get into cycling, barriers still prevent or put off women from getting on a bike. Infrastructure and gender differences. My fingers clench tight around the handlebars of the bike as my legs pump as fast as I dare. The world passes by in a whirl of color, the wind caressing my face growing stronger the faster I go. My hair would blow if it weren't underneath a helmet. I feel free. Just as I'm beginning to forget all my worries, the road gets rougher and bumpier, my already clenched fists gets tighter, nearly to the point of pain. Herein lies a problem that can't be fixed with a woman-only group. Winnipeg roads aren't meant for cycling. This city isn't built for cyclists, but for people who commute by car. When I started cycling again this summer, I wanted to ride on the sidewalks to feel safer because sidewalks are typically smoother and there are no cars to deal with. An average of four cyclists get killed and 78 injured in vehicle-bicycle collisions each year in Manitoba, according to Manitoba Public Insurance, MPI. Worrying about safety reduces my feeling of freedom on the bike. My heart beats fast, not only from the workout, but from being hyper-aware and nervous of my surroundings. Not every woman is as worried as I am because I'm a newbie cyclist, but someone like Trout, who has cycled regularly since childhood and is passionate about the sport, would feel much more comfortable cycling on the road. My cycling days go all the way back to early childhood, says Trout, adding that she was on a tricycle since she was two years old and progressed from there. She ended up buying a bike with her lawn mowing earnings and allowance money at the age of 14. A CBC article investigates why fewer women cycle than men, and according to their findings, women prefer to ride safer routes while men take more risks. It can be debated that infrastructure is sexist and seen through a gender-biased lens. This wouldn't be surprising seeing as 26.7% of infrastructure jobs were held by women in 2019, according to Statistics Canada. One place where sexism is blatant is the Tour de France. The Tour de France the world of professional cycling comes with new challenges and barriers for a woman to face, and sexism becomes much more prominent. Catherine Bertine wrote Stand, a memoir on activism. This memoir describes the sexist industry behind professional cycling, including how she became an activist for women. Bertine caught the attention of ESPN in 2006 to 2008, when she was trying to get into the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics in road cycling a vast difference from her previous professional figure skating career. This led to her career in journalism as a columnist for ESPN. Her big assignment, an investigative piece on setting up to fail when trying to qualify for the Olympics. The project ended, but her cycling continued, 
which in turn led to her activism in trying to create equal opportunities for women in professional cycling and speaking out about injustices. Bertine explores the way women are treated in professional cycling, from training to competing and not being able to compete in Tour de France because there hasn't been a female tour in years. The first Tour de France Femine was in the summer of 1955. In 1988, after legal battles over the trademark name Le Tour de France in the title of the female races with Amory Sport Organization, ASO, who oversees organizing Le Tour de France, the tour became La Grande Boucle. After having on and off races throughout the years, it stopped entirely in 2009. In 2022, there will finally be a Tour de France Femme, and while this is progress, the men's race is 23 days, which includes two rest days, while the women's is eight. I am very thankful for the progress, says Bertine. I'm thrilled that we have eight days, but had ASO kept their promise to incrementally add three to five days a year, then we would have had a full-fledged 21-day Tour de France by now. In her memoir, Bertine goes into detail about meeting with members of ASO to make a woman's tour after starting a petition that received 96,374 signatures on change.org. The number of signatures and demand for a woman's tour de France made it harder for ASO to continue to ignore. I'm not happy that it's eight days because of the reasoning that ASO clearly does not think that women can physically do 21 days says Bertine. ASO may not believe that women can do a complete Tour de France that is equal to the men's race, despite evidence showing that they can and they will. In 1984, the Tour de France Femine had 18 stages that were equal to the men's in difficulty but shortened, where they completed around 1,080 kilometers of the 4,000 kilometers the men's race covered. People were skeptical that the 36 women split into six teams would even be able to make it to the end of the race. All riders, except for one who broke their collarbone, crossed the finish line. Yet, ASO still doesn't offer a woman a 21-day race, despite it being done before. Bertine believes one day there will be a Tour de France for women that will be equal to the men's. I'm going to always hold on to that belief, because we had that back in the 80s, and at that point, the only reason the women's race was shortened a bit from the men's was so both could share the same venue at the same time, says Bertine. I do absolutely think it can happen. It's just more of this paradigm of women having to prove themselves. More barriers in professional cycling. Even with the progress being made today, there's a huge pay gap in what men and women earn when it comes to professional cycling. According to a Canadian cycling magazine, the minimum wage for pro-male cyclists is around $44,000, while the Union Cycliste Internationale, UCI, raised the minimum salary in 2021 for pro-female cyclists to $28,000. In 2014, Bertine released a documentary called Half the Road, The Passion, Pitfalls, and Power of Women's Professional Cycling. This document highlights a lot of the major barriers women have faced and still face within professional cycling. In Stand, Bertine talks about how even creating and releasing the documentary came with barriers. She had to fight to have the film released because so many people doubted that there was any demand for it. 
When Bertine faced challenges with getting money to produce the film, she asked for donations and got donations from people from over 16 countries. 50% of donors were men. Cycling's male-dominated fan base wanted to see this movie just as much as women did, says Bertine on page 133 of Stand. The release and documentary was ultimately a success, with multiple sold-out screenings and winning multiple international awards. Goals, Hopes, and the Future of Cycling The future of cycling is looking brighter for women and girls with people like Bertine and groups like Veladonna's. But there's a long way to go before it becomes equal. Perhaps if communities in Manitoba make more women-only groups, more women will join in cycling. It could also be beneficial to have a girls-only cycling group for younger girls to get comfortable on their bikes. Perhaps this summer's Tour de France Femme will inspire more women and girls to get involved in cycling. Robertson and Bertine have some advice for newbie cyclists. I would say just try it. It's as simple as that. It'll only get better. Your fitness will improve. Your abilities will improve. Find a group that will mentor you, says Robertson. The first step is getting onto the bike. Then it becomes a matter of how often someone chooses to ride. The more often someone rides, the better they will become. Surround yourself with people who have been in the sport for a while and ask questions because your elders, so to speak, the experienced athletes, the elders of cycling really like to impart knowledge, says Bertine. Asking questions to the elders of cycling will help newbie riders understand how to do things properly without the frustration of figuring it out on their own. Next summer, I hope to get out to cycle more. Perhaps one day I'll even join a Veladonna's ride. Until then, my bike remains in the garage, locked up and waiting for me. Working Draft is a student-produced web magazine from RRC Polytech's Creative Communications program in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. For more long-form stories like this, visit workingdraftmagazine.com. Never stop thinking.